We are glad you are here tonight. And what a wonderful study this has been. And we've been focusing on the last uh, part of Matthew 11. We're going to move up one verse, but don't get excited. We're going to backtrack two in a minute. Uh, but look at verse 30, Matthew 11. That's our text for tonight. Now, again, who is speaking here? Jesus is speaking. And uh, again, the last few weeks we talked about this. And is Jesus talking about a literal yoke? No, it's figurative, okay? And uh, he's using it as a symbol of service. We submit our wills to him. And so, again, uh, if you took it literally for for a yoke of oxen, uh, they were yoked together to work for their master. So we take on the yoke of Christ. Uh, to serve Him, to work for Him. Now, I didn't realize this before I was saved, or probably you didn't either, but basically we either serving God or who else? Who? Yeah, but more importantly, Satan, okay? You know, and again, not everyone who serves Satan is a murderer or something that bad, but there's only two masters in it. And, of course, the world's a part of it because Satan is the head of that. He's the prince and power uh, of the air. And it's interesting, uh, this yoke of serving Christ, uh, and we're in service to Christ, is certainly uh, in contrast of serving the world, serving sin, or serving Satan. Proverbs 13, look at verse 15. Our focus is the last part of verse 15. And what's it say? The way of the transgressor is what? What does that mean? Yeah. Uh, does it show? A lot of times? How many people have you seen lived hard lives and they look like they're 20 years older than they really are? I didn't show it everybody. But here's what's interesting. Satan promises those that serve him a great time if they just follow him. But those who serve him are going to find out sooner or later the way of the transgressor is hard. You hear me say it quite often, the Bible is the only book I know that tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And without a doubt, the Bible speaks about pleasure and sin for a season. What does that mean? Say it again. It doesn't last. It doesn't last. And sin deceives. Satan deceives. <coughs> When we were lost, he deluded us by uh, giving us the imagination or imagining that we were enjoying liberty as we lived our life any way we want to, to uh, indulge in the lust of the flesh. But what happens is, there comes a time in our life, if we, if we wouldn't have changed, we realize that we better change 
And when we want to change and we try it on our own, we're already bound by habits that we simply can't break. Uh, we, uh, Em and I were talking way over someone in our family that we had known for years. I mean, uh, he, he married in our family some years ago and, and had a great prospect as a young man. But he had alcohol and drugs were in his life. And uh, he's younger than I am by several years, but he looks about 25 years older than I do. Now, I know I don't look old at all, okay, but anyway, if you could imagine, I'd have thrown that in there, all right? But the fact of the matter is, habits become that we cannot break. How many know that sin is a hard tra- a taskmaster? He demands, sin demands a lot. In fact, sin is more cruel as a taskmaster than the Egyptians were to the Israelites. It's an awful thing to be bound by Satan and bound in sin. And we have to realize that to serve Satan, when we do that, he imposes a a greater burden than Pharaoh ever placed upon the Israelites. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Now, I think if we, if we consider that in the right perspective, in the terrible world, we, in the broken world we live in, to me that is a, re, a refreshing statement. A statement to me that brings hope to my life. Now, most theologians would agree that when Jesus said his yoke was easy, his burden was light, uh, it's a sort of a sequel, if you will, to the previous version we looked at the last uh, couple of weeks. And we found out, uh, beginning at least a, a four or five weeks ago, that uh, he invited all those who are laboring, uh, those who are heavy laden, and uh, to come and find rest. And that's really in a sort of a, a twofold sense. First of all, those who were sick of sin and were burdened down by a sense of its guilt. What an awful feeling. And Jesus said, if that is your condition, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest. But it also, I think, includes those who were trying so hard to meet God's requirements. And they were discouraged because they just couldn't do that. Now, we're going to mention in a few moments here the the Pharisees. And uh, I want to say tonight, the Pharisees uh, certainly, to me, represent a lot of organized religion. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't do that. Do this, do this. And if you do enough, hopefully you'll get God's attention. And hopefully you'll make it to heaven. And through the years, through the centuries, there have been so many who have tried to fulfill even the letter of the law. And my question is tonight, and you know most of, the, of what the Bible says, did they find it easy to do? No, in fact, what did they really find? 
It was a burden. And they couldn't do it. And they tried. They kept on trying over and over again. But they found out it wasn't easy. It was difficult, if not impossible. And then the group that would try to work out a righteous, righteousness of their own, hopefully to gain God's favor, they find that that's also a heavy burden. And it certainly is not a light burden. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves, what can we do, say, or whatever that will impress God? Nothing. Nothing at all. And so Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden light. Now, again, I think there's a very clear connection between what we're reading tonight and the verse we covered the last few weeks. And I so I'm almost I'm just convinced that these words tonight are linked with the verse we read. Let's go back. We're going to read verse 28 and then skip down to verse 30, kind of join them together. Verse 28 and then verse 30. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now think about this, and we, we've mentioned this several weeks ago. Jesus Christ is giving an invitation. Who's he giving it to? Everyone who's heavy burdened. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what your lot in life. And he's encouraging us, anyone, just to come. And he says, if you'll come, he'll do what? He'll give you rest. He will give you rest. And so he says, take my yoke upon you. And such a gracious invitation, and the invocation here, Jesus is saying, you don't, have to be, you don't need to be afraid of that. You don't need to be afraid of taking my yoke upon you. Now let's go back to a literal yoke for a moment. And... And again, I've never done this, but I can only imagine uh, the first time you tried to yoke an oxen or a, a team of horses, what do you think their reaction would have been? <laughs> They'd been against it, right? They wouldn't want to do it. But Jesus says we don't have to be afraid to take his yoke upon him, us because Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now, again, a little bit of a trivia, simple trivia question. What is one thing that God or Jesus cannot do? Say it again. Can't lie. So he says, take my yoke upon you, for my burden easy and my yoke is light. Learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart. And he says, you will find rest for your Souls. But remember, my yoke is easy. 
Now, if we are honest with ourselves on what we know about yokes, in the literal sense, uh, we would think, well, how could it be easy? How could it be easy? Well, first of all, because Jesus says so. For my yoke is easy. The English word easy in the King James is translated also in, in the King James different ways. It, uh, one translation of, of it is kind, better, goodness, good, or gracious. So his yoke is kind, it's better, it's good, and it's gracious. Now, if I'm going to wear a yoke, guess what kind I want to wear? One just like that. Uh, you ever have a collar that kind of rubbed your neck in the wrong way? And uh, if you wore it, all, wore it all day without what, well, you know what it do? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it shapes our neck. And Jesus says, there's nothing about the yoke that I give you to wear that will chafe you. It won't hurt you. And Jesus, on the contrary, it is pleasant to wear. It's easy. It's kind. It's better. It's good. And it's gracious. The question has been asked through the years. Was Jesus speaking absolutely or just relatively? Uh, in other words, did he describe what the yoke was in itself or how the yoke appeared to his people? I think both apply. Okay? Both apply. Because, without a doubt, the yoke or service of Christ is indeed a light or gracious one in itself. Because every one of his commandments are framed in infinite love. Let that sink in for just a moment. They are framed in infinite love, and they are framed in infinite wisdom. And every one of his commandments are designed for the good to those who are willing to receive them. Now remember, who else but God has infinite wisdom? No one. Who else but God has infinite love? No one. And so all of his commandments are framed in that infinite love and in that infinite wisdom. And God gave them to us not to put a thumb on our lives, not to put a, a burdensome yoke on us, but that our lives might be better and live to the intent God wants us to live. So God is not a, a harsh tyrant, the one who tries to impose difficult and hard duties just so he can show us who he is. And by the way, does he have the authority if he wanted to? Sure he does. But that's not how God operates. Not at all. Now, by the way, I want you to continue to pray for my dad because that's how he sees God. Anytime, anytime anything bad happens, it's God's fault. Because God could have stopped it. And who's, what's God trying to prove about himself? 
That's the wrong attitude to have. So he's not harsh. And he doesn't do that just to exert his authority. Because without a doubt, he is a gracious master. He loves us. And he always has our welfare and our interest at heart. He loves, loves us. He cares about us. Let's look at a contrast here, okay? We'll look first at the, uh, at the Pharisees. And uh, then we'll look at, uh, at uh, God's commandments in 1 John 5. Let's read Matthew 23, verse 4. Okay, thank you, Dan. First John five three. Somebody read that, please. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. So we see a contrast there. Now again, the Pharisees, and I would compare them to any any religion. You know, Christianity is about God's search for man, and religion is about God, man's search for God. Trying to work your way, trying to earn your way, trying to buy your way. And in Matthew 23, Jesus says the Pharisees, religion of the world, they want to put heavy burdens on you. In fact, so heavy... It is tremendously difficult. In fact, the King James says, it is grievous to bear those burdens. And these religious people, they put them on other people's shoulders, and yet they themselves make no effort to even do them themselves. That's religion. And their commands are grievous. They're burdensome. They are heavy. And they are difficult to endure. But in 1 John 5, 3, John writes about God's commandments. And he links it to the love of God, which they are. And John says, we keep his commandments. And what's the difference between God's commandments and the commandments of religion? They're not grievous. They are not difficult. And so this one command that... In 1 John 5, 3, it's not grievous, it's not heavy, it's not uh, burdensome. And for those who are truly born again, in fact, it should delight our hearts that we are able to serve God. I don't know where I heard this story, but it was either yesterday or Monday. And uh, and it was given by a Christian, so I'm assuming it's a true story. But the story is of a young mother. Her house had caught on fire. And uh, her baby was on the second floor. 
And somehow there was some kind of a steel pole there or whatever. I don't know where it was at. And the only way she could reach that second floor was to climb that pole. And it was so hot, it burned her hands so bad, it disfigured her hands horribly. And I believe it was her daughter she saved that day. And through the years, I mean, later on, after this girl got saved, many years later, the one that was saved, she testified, you know, for years, I couldn't stand to look at my mother's hands. It really repulsed me. It was disgusting and horrible. And then she said, I realized one day, the reason her hands were like that Because she gave it to save me. And she shared that that's how she realized God gave it all through Christ to save her as well. And whenever we realize what Christ has done for us, when we are head over heels in love with God, His commandments are not a burden. In fact, the joy of our heart is to keep His commandments. I wasn't saved until I was about 22 years old. I went to church off and on as, as, a, as a kid. When Pam and I first got married, we'd go with my grandmother on Sunday morning sometimes. We didn't go every Sunday. We went a lot more than some saved people did. But we knew we were unsaved. We weren't hypocrites. We knew that. And I thought about salvation, and I thought, Lord, you know, man, if, if I get saved, I'm going to lose my freedom. You know, I, the things I, I want to do, uh, man, I, I won't be able to do them anymore. And the problem was, my mindset was that if I follow God's commands, it will destroy my freedom, it will destroy my creativity, by spontaneity. But understand, folks, God's commands do not do that. In fact, the truth of the matter is, God's commands set us free. Because they are for our benefit. And so, God's commands are not like the laws of the Pharisees, the, the laws of religion that weigh people down. But please understand, God's commandments do direct people. And God's commandments will at times restrain us. And we have to remember that freedom doesn't mean that we're free to reign to our human desires. And make no mistake about it. When you came to Christ, did your passions die? I hope not. And some of those passions are good, but some are what? They're evil. So, yes, God's law does help us refrain from following the wrong passions. And the problem is not only, in, it, I know it's in the world, and that's sad enough, but it's also in the church, and that's even sadder yet. Because we live in a time when people put so much emphasis on experience and feeling as opposed to duty and action. They don't miss that. 
If you are born again, God expects obedience. He expects us to live by His commands and precepts. But if our heart is right with God, if we're in love with God, that is not a burden. And God wants our conduct, how we live, to demonstrate our inward devotion to Him. And my friend, that makes His burden easy and His yoke light. So His commandments are not grievous in and of themselves. They are actually beneficial to us. Very beneficial. Now, by the way, Satan wants us to believe that Christ's yoke is heavy. He wants us to believe that uh, it's a burden. Uh, It's difficult. He wants us to believe that God wants us to to rob us of our freedom. Remember, Satan is the father of what? Yeah, of lies, too. He's the father of evil and of lies. And I do understand that those who are unsaved, they are going to find the yoke of Christ hard to bear. They're going to find it very heavy, and they're going to find out that it rubs against their carnal nature. Of course, Paul said in Rome, because we are in enmity with God before we're saved. And so it's not going to feel good to those who are not saved. And anyone who's in love with this world, instead of being in love with Christ, is going to find out that the yoke of Christ is a burden. It's difficult. My friend, when our hearts are captivated by Christ, and I mean captivated by Christ, to be under his yoke, hear me well, is the most pleasant experience you'll ever have. Under the yoke of Christ. Proverbs 3.17. The writer here is speaking about wisdom. And many times throughout the scripture, wisdom is personified. Uh, as it is here in verse 17, Proverbs 3. And as a child of God, I know we're born again, but we need to come to Christ daily to be renewed by His grace. I hope by now you found out you can't live on yesterday's power. We need God's grace for today. We need to come every day to Christ to yield ourselves afresh to His rule. We need to spend time every day sitting at His feet, being taught by Him, learning about His lowliness and meekness. And whenever we enjoy that type of spiritual communion, On a regular basis. 
and we partake of his rest. It doesn't matter what he commands of us. It is a delight to do and to serve him. And it's then we prove that wisdom's ways are pleasantness and her paths, all of her paths, are One of the things I've heard people struggle with through the years, especially young Christians, is the assurance of salvation. How do I know that I'm born again? How do I find conclusive evidence that a good work of grace has begun in my heart. How do I know? And they find themselves asking themselves over and over again, have I been genuinely converted? How do I I'm asking you that question. How do I know? How do you know? Can't all talk at once. Okay. Now, Sandy, I don't know if you knew this or not, but you know, your dad was a great friend to me. I loved him and he loved me. But for the first three or four years, he struggled with the church of salvation. And I'm not talking bad about him. He's one of many. And uh, I've tried to work with him and encourage him. And I'll never forget one day coming to church, his eyes were gleaming. He said, Pastor, I got it. I know I'm saved. So how do you know? How do you know that you're saved? Now, I I don't think, and uh, I didn't know most of you before you were saved, but I doubt the day you were saved your physical appearance changed. Now me, I've been good looking all my life. And humble, right? So we know our physical appearance didn't change. So how do I know I'm saved? I want to say that first of all, there are a lot of people who attend church every week have never been saved. And the Bible says there's going to be a time they're going to stand before the Lord and they're going to say, Lord, I did this, I did that. I shook the preacher's hand, I repeated after him. 
And the Lord's going to say, what? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Jesus told the parable of the wheat and the tares. And in the parable, the laborer said, should we go out and pull the tares out? Get rid of the weeds from the wheat. And the owner said, don't do that. You'll destroy the wheat with the weeds. Some of the wheat. But there's coming a day when the mass of the universe will, will separate them. And what mistake will he make? He won't. He'll separate the sheep from the goats, the goats on the left hand, the, right, the sheep on the right hand. And I know today there are a lot of preachers who spend their time trying to entertain the goats instead of preaching the word. But how do I know? How do I know if I'm saved? Am I going to have to tell you? I will. But I'm going to tell you, it took me a long time to understand it too. Because first of all, it wasn't long after I was saved. You know what Satan started telling me? You know, I say, hey, who are you kidding? You're no different than you used to be. You still have bad thoughts. And he's good at telling you that. And I want to tell you, from the time I've been saved, and I don't know where he gets them, but he got a whole bunch of them fiery darts. And he's probably not throwing them at you, because he's throwing them all at me. Trying to discourage my walk with God. I didn't quite understand this verse for a period of time. But the Bible says that our spirit bears witness with his spirit. And I must confess, when I first read that, for the first maybe a couple of years even, I can't see his spirit. I can't feel his spirit. So how in the world can my spirit bear witness with his spirit? But then I realized all those times when I hear the word preach or hear it taught, a certain hymn or whatever it is, the Spirit of God begins dealing with my heart or something. So how do I know? Well, first of all, it begins with a look inward. Do you love Jesus? It's been a little over 50 years ago when, when Pam first met me and she and she was slain from the first moment. Maybe the second. I don't know. And we fell in love. And guess who I thought about all the time? I thought about her. I uh, texted Colton earlier today. I said, hey, I said, Colton, I, I married your grandmother for her looks. But not the one she gives me now. But but anyway... Uh, if you're in love with Jesus, you know it. And then a day go by, you don't think about him. It doesn't mean you can't go to work. I'm not talking about that. But I want to tell you, if you can go through a day without thinking about Jesus, I'd question my salvation. So look inward. 
But also, look backward. Do you see a change in your life? Has coming to know Christ made and making a change in your life? And my friend, that change is evident. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. So it begins with looking inside. It also involves a look backwards, but it also involves a look outward. Are you obeying His commands? And there are so many people in our world who are deceiving themselves. They think they've been born again, and I'll use Ken Holland, my good preacher friend, he would say, they're as lost as a ball in high weeds. And they don't know it. Folks, I am so glad for the assurance of salvation. And there's no reason. Now, also understand, I, I know for at least the first six months of my of salvation, I struggled with that. And, and I remember, I work in second shift, and I, I would think about it while I was working you know, is my heart right with God? Uh, I love my first pastor. I still do. And I thought, wow, you know, uh, knowing how things work, God may call him to another pastor, which he did. You know, how am I going to survive if he leaves the church? Well, then at dawn, I mean, my salvation didn't depend on my pastor. He was the one who led me to Christ. But my salvation depends upon God. And I thought, well, you know, the day I got saved, I didn't hear any light. I see any lightning flash. I didn't hear a buzzer go off. So, how do I know? And here's the bottom line. Your salvation is not measured by how you felt that day. It's measured by how you obeyed the Word of God. The mandate of the Word of God. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No doubt about it. If we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. Now, by the way, the Bible never speaks about a mental ascent for salvation. The Bible is not speaking about agreeing with facts. There are many in the world who would say, yes, I believe Jesus died for my sins. But my friend, real salvation means you invite Him to be Lord of your life. And the fact of the matter, if He can't be Lord of all of our lives, He won't be Lord at all. And Satan has deceived so many people. And they're looking for some type of sensation or extraordinary sensation uh, in their heart. Rather than looking for what the Bible says. And by the way, anytime you get a chance to release them to Christ, use the Word of God. Show them what Scripture says. Because then they'll have that to go back to to affirm the assurance of their 
heart. But understand, <coughs> whenever Christ comes into our lives, we are genuinely saved. He enlightens our conscience. Our minds are now being transformed. We're being renewed. We're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And there's nothing, I think, any greater, any better than the testimony of an enlightened conscience. And so even for the assurance of our salvation, we have to judge it by the word of God. I come from a large family. Still have seven living siblings. Only two of the other ones are saved. We have many in our, in our, in our extended family who are unsaved, and every once in a while it is. Aggravation. I can't believe they act the way they act. I can't believe they, they have a certain worldview they have. But then it dawns on me. That's how I was before God enlightened my conscience. So that's how I know I'm saved. Exactly how I know I am saved. So when Jesus talks about his yoke, When he says it's easy and it's light, if we judge that statement by the word of God, we know it's true. We know it is true. But that principle works both ways. There are several things that shucks my corn. And one of them is a Christian that goes around moaning and groaning all the time. Nothing's ever just right. They complain about everything, and somehow they have, if they ever had it, they've lost the joy of serving Christ. And so I, I look at that, and I'm not doubting their salvation. I'm, I'm assuming they're saved, but by their own conduct. They are testifying that serving the Lord is a burden. And folks, I've got to tell you, the best thing I've ever done is serve the Lord. It's brought more peace and satisfaction in my life than anything that I know. In Revelation, the first couple of chapters, actually beginning chapter 2 and chapter 3, Christ was writing a letter to seven churches. 
in chapter 3, he was writing, speaking to the church of Sardis. And you know what he said to that church? You've got a name that's alive, but you are dead. Now, hold on. Jesus said clearly his yoke was easy and his burden light. So, are we to assume then that he made a false statement? No. He cannot lie. And I want to conclude by that, that those who claim to be born again and find it burdensome and difficult, and they don't want to do it, and they're not devoted, I would question my salvation. Now, knowing the fact that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, does that mean... Serving Christ is a bed of roses. No. In fact, not at all. Does it mean that when anyone comes to Christ and takes that yoke upon them, does that mean all your troubles are going to end? No. But in, in, in a real sense... When you come to Christ, your troubles are just beginning. Second Timothy three twelve. I thank you, Dan. Paul is writing to this young pastor, Timothy. Timothy's at Ephesus. And Paul said, Now Timothy, there's something you need to know. If you are going to obey God, If you're going to live for Christ, what can you expect? Persecution. Acts 14, verse 21 and Thank you, Dan. Now, for those who remember, this is one of Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, he was traveling, had, been, had traveled already through Lystra, and uh, moved on to Iconium and then to Antioch. And the first time he was in Lystra, he, they stoned him and left him for dead. And so, anyway, he moves on. And he and his uh, missionary partner decide we're going to go back and encourage those people. Now, first of all, I'm not sure I would have went back, but he did. And Paul had told Timothy, if you live for Christ, you'll suffer persecution. Uh, Did Paul know that from his own experience? Sure he did. And those believers he left behind in Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, uh, they were facing persecution. 
In fact, from the same people who had attacked Paul and Barnabas. And so Paul says, now look, you need to understand something. If you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, it will be through much tribulation. John 15, verse 18 and verse 20. Anybody got that? you, Dan. What's, what's the warning Jesus has given to the disciples here? What's he warning them about? Yeah, it's going to follow. They are going to persecute you. Now, we are blessed that we live in a nation so far. In fact, I think across the world, most Christians don't face outright persecution just for being a Christian. Now, that being said, there are uh, places in the world it's against the law to be a Christian. But those who worship freely, like we do, those who worship without being hindered, folks, we need to be grateful, deeply grateful. But we shouldn't assume that what Jesus said doesn't apply to us. Because if we stand up for Christian values, and I mean stand up, don't cave into the world, don't say, well, everybody else is doing and everybody else says, this is okay, Folks, if God's Word says it's wrong, it doesn't matter who says it's okay, it is still wrong, and we have to stand up for godly Christian values. And when you do that, you can expect opposition and hostility from the world. And by the way, that's not new for our age. It's been new since Jesus Christ was here, or even throughout, even in the Old Testament, those who served God. So you can expect, if you're living for Christ, if you're living in obedience, you can expect some form of resistance, some form of persecution, if we persist in being living in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Like I told you, it's the only book I know that tells the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Please understand. His yoke is easy. Now remember, we're taking His yoke upon us, and a yoke involves how many? How many? At least two. You put it on one side, I guess it's on the other. Jesus is there, and He makes that yoke easy, and He makes it light. We'll stop there for tonight. Pick it up there, Lord willing, next week. If Jesus comes, we'll just be worshiping Him in heaven anyway.